Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's podcast. I am delighted to have a guest with us who I've got to know and really enjoyed his company over the last year as his leadership coach. Uh, he's a president CEO and has a great deal of experience and wisdom of dealing with people. He's also a, a, an all-round great guy to be with who's very humble, very modest. And dragging him onto this podcast was quite hard because he's going, no, no, not me, somebody else. But without further ado, let me get him to introduce himself. Good morning, Jonathan. Thank you for that uh, kind introduction. It's a privilege to be here, even though um, you know it, it's taken a little while to get me here. It is. Uh, I do feel privileged to to be uh, on here uh, and talking to you. Um, so a little bit about me. I'm Craig Hatch. I'm president, as you described, of TetraTech in the UK. Um, TetraTech's a leading provider of high-end consulting, project management, engineering projects worldwide. Um, so we've got 27,000 people working across the full project lifecycle. Um, our operations in the UK and Europe are now uh, more than 5,000 people uh, who are leading with science to solve our clients' most complex problems. So I look after um, the parts of the business in the UK and Europe that are called TetraTech. Uh, we do have sister companies uh, like RPS, Hawley, NDY and Pitto Associates, who are also part of our European operation. So Tetratex experts in the UK and Europe work alongside clients, local, national, international projects to deliver on their objectives by providing sustainable and resilient solutions. Well, great. I mean, it's, it's a lovely way of capturing it. And of course, there's a lovely connection for us in that one of my early guests was Danny Payne, who you uh, kept in touch with over the years and realized his talents and you recruited Danny to work with you. And, and he always said he found you very inspiring and very modest, very humble. Uh, so it's a, lovely, it's a lovely way of him recommending other people because this is a referral only podcast. I get agencies want their people on, but I've just got to have inspiring leaders recommending other inspiring leaders, which takes us on nicely to the topic of inspiring leadership, what it means to you. And who would be the two CEOs that you know that you'd recommend and that you found inspiring? Maybe a female inspiring leader and a male inspiring leader. Yeah, from, from a personal perspective, um, I worked with somebody for um, too short a period of time, actually, somebody called JC Townend, who's currently the chief executive of LHH. Um, JC was uh, my managing director and um a true inspiration. I learned a lot from her in a, in around about an 18 month period of time that we worked together and we stayed in touch afterwards. So, you know, she's just somebody that just had the right culture, wanting to um, improve the business, improve you, uh, very much fit with my values of um, leadership all the time and, and just, you know, being authentic and um, just being an all round good person who was knowledgeable and supported all the people who work for. So I found her very inspiring, uh, probably the most inspiring leader that I've worked directly for. Um, the other person I would say is my current 
chief executive, um, who's called Dan Batrack, who leads our um, global operations. Uh, Glenn, Dan's quite an understated person, so he, he probably won't um, thank me for calling him out on this, but he is somebody that absolutely sets the tone for our business, uh, simplifies the business, makes, the, makes it easy for us to focus on the important things, the clients and projects and the people that we have in the business to drive it forward. So um, Dan, he is understated, but a really inspiring individual. Great. And, and it is it is interesting that in my experience and research, and I think you and I have talked about this before, that many uh, of the CEO level inspiring leaders are often modest introverts. Um, and we found in the public domain, you've got the sort of Trumps and the, the Boris Johnsons and the Liz Trusts who are all promoting themselves and Matt Hancock and people like this. And and we don't believe them and we, they don't have the authenticity or the role modeling of humble uh, humanity and a bit of humility and a bit of humor that, that makes them real people. And, and I think often people think they have to be an extrovert to be the president or to be the CEO. Actually, many of them, in my experience, are introverts who are quite quiet, quite thoughtful, and they've learned to be extroverted at times. But, but it's the reflective bit that makes them so good on the strategy and the long-term things and caring about other people. What, what's, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I really agree with all of that, really. I mean, um, leadership, as far as I'm concerned, it means being someone others want to follow and therefore do follow. And then there has to be um, an authenticity about that um, as with you as a person. You know, you, you, yes, you are on show, but you, you are, you've got to be your true self at all times. And that's something that I've learned in my years in business. You know, I've been working in business now for around about 40 years. And it's something that as I have got more experienced, I've managed to get better at that and sort of, you know, just being my, um, just myself. It's all I've got. Yeah. So yeah, just um, being a true person, a real person that people can choose to follow or not. Yeah, it's so true. I think, I think back to uh, having lost my father when I was uh, two and a half, when he was killed. Um, I, I was always struggling to find uh, role models. My, my mother was quite an inspiring leadership role model, which is why I always, uh, relate to female inspiring leaders probably more easily than male ones but I've been looking for my missing father I think in in trying to find inspiring male leaders and people like Richard Dannett who I worked for General Lord Dannett was very inspiring that way and very understated um, but had real drive and passion in him but I, I think it is interesting others have got to want to follow them and uh, I think you, you touched on some really good points with both JC Townend and, and Dan uh, Batrack, that um, it's a special ingredients. And it, I, I think at times when I try too hard to be like somebody else and thinking that's the way to be, I'll copy them. That's good. That, and, and you can't be, I think it was Oscar Wilde said, better to be a first class version of yourself than a second class version of somebody else and be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And, and I, I, I sort of forgot that at times. And, and now I'm more comfortable in my own skin with my own flaws, my own failures. Uh, you know, I am what I am at this stage. Uh, and I think I talked to you in, in our, some of our coaching about how profound back in December it was going on the Hoffman Institute seven day program, which is really going back, looking at your childhood and what shaped your behavior today. Uh, it, it's something that, uh, you know, when the time is right, various leaders I know will be doing it. 
in fact, I'm getting the uh, the UK CEO to come on the program to talk about the, 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 the process, which would be interesting. Talking about that, let's have a look at your life journey. Um, the life journey shapes us. The, the, the life is in the transition, some of the highs and some of the lows, uh, our upbringing, where we came from. You can't choose to who you're born, where you're born, uh, but you can choose what you do with how you're born. So, so what's shaped you? Just give us perhaps five, 10 minutes, Craig. Yeah, I, I really agree with the, you know, the the statement that your life journey defines your leadership. Um, I'm extremely proud of my working class roots. And um, whilst that may have made it uh, more difficult, taking me longer to get to where I am now, it certainly made me stronger and better by the time I, I realised each role that I've worked in. Um, but that's really only part of my life journey. Uh, marriage and children are a big part of my development. Um, everything was conventional really in my life until my second child was born around 25 years ago. And uh, Fraser was born with complex health needs as a result of birth trauma. Um, that reframed my priorities um, and ultimately I think made me more socially aware, more determined, more empathetic uh, and generally a better rounded person, um, which I think defines my leadership style now. Uh, I've also got three other um, children, three other young adult children, all of whom have their own mental health challenges, including uh, a daughter who um, entered a career in STEM, suffered some poor treatment in a masculine working environment. Uh, my um, third child is a son who's got ADHD, uh, is, is gay and is a drag queen. Um, and my youngest son, who hasn't received full diagnosis, but also suffers from acute anxiety and associated depression. Uh, and, and that means that me and my wife, Ellis, have a different sort of life to many people. Um, we don't have a lot of spare time. Uh, when I'm not working, I'm immediately a carer. So and, um, uh, you know, so that's a 24 hour commitment that we both have. We don't. We effectively haven't had a holiday since 1995. Uh, we do go away, but that we, we go away as carers. Uh, and, you know, and it has to be within the UK because we can't travel far. Uh, and that's obviously, you know, has its challenges. But there are lots of benefits that have influenced my working life um, and how I've developed. It certainly helped me be calmer under pressure, um, realising that work issues can be resolved and aren't the end of the world that they first seem. So prioritising the right way. And it's also made me focus on diversity, equity and inclusion as a real priority um, alongside sustainability to give my children and their children a future on our planet. Fantastic. So, Craig, happiest, uh, proudest moments and, and darkest moments in your life, what would you touch on? Um, Happiest moments from a personal perspective are um, my marriage and birth of my children. I think they are the things that really resonate most with me uh, in my life. Um, from a darkest moment perspective, it's probably, I, I do refer to this, that when Fraser was born, it was the happiest and darkest day of my life. Mm -hmm. yeah, my son was born. I was absolutely delighted that he was there, but it became obvious immediately um, that he was going to have a, a, a life full of challenges, um, that he would never be the person that we envisaged he would be and the, and the comfortable life and the normal life, I suppose, in some ways that uh, we would anticipate that he would have. And, you know, and it has played out that way. Uh, but it, it 
definitely was one of the happiest moments at the same time because he's become a fantastic individual. Yeah, and, and I just I just want to acknowledge that in getting to know you, the effort and uh, energy you and Ellis put into Fraser is just phenomenal. But would you just explain to people the challenges that you've got with his situation and, and how you handle it, the pair of you? Yeah, I mean, uh, Fraser has um, acute complex health needs and has had for now the full 24 years of his life. They are um, increasing with time um, as, he, as he grows. One of the conditions that he has is cerebral palsy, and that means that his muscles are pulling um, tightly all the time, which changes his um, structural shape, changes his spine, which squeezes his internal organs. So over time, he, he is getting uh, more uh, vulnerable, I think, in, in terms of uh, life expectancy. He's got shortened life expectancy. Uh, that requires a lot of effort to keep him well. You know, it, it, if we didn't have um, my wife, Ellis, who, you know, devotes almost all of her life to um, supporting Fraser, then Fraser wouldn't be here. You know, so we manage all those vulnerabilities, the almost 30 medications that he's on every day that we, we give him, the physio that we have to give him every day, and just looking out for the things, because he's nonverbal, looking out for things that are impacting him. And um, that, that does mean that it, it never stops. You know, it is, you know, absolutely um, consciously an effort for 24 hours every day. My work takes me into a different environment. And I can escape from that in my work, you know, which has its own challenges. Um, but as soon as I'm out of work environment, I'm in family and caring mode. That, that's, you know, that, so they're the two things that um, I focus my life around. Mm. And, and there's a huge commitment to being a caregiver. You know, I, uh, we had here in Lincolnshire, my mother-in-law who lived with us for three years until she died and she had a lot of complex health problems, heart disease, lung disease, uh, Alzheimer's and cancer. Uh, and you realize, you know, just, I, I was only three years, you've been doing it for 25 years and not had a holiday since 95. And it does take its toll, but I, I just want to call out that you and Ellis seem incredibly um, humble by the whole process it must teach you things which probably make you certainly a better leader and the situation you explained with your son who's gay and a drag queen and um other complex problems for the other children um it must give you another perspective where you are not so judgmental and not so critical of other people who am i to judge them i don't know do you want to say anything on that yeah absolutely i i think um totally open-minded in in terms of um who people are and wanting them to be their true self whole self um in in what they do because that's what i've learned from my own personal experience so um diversity is an extremely big driver for me and um uh really important that i play that out in everything that i do and in business i'm, I'm able to do that i get frustrations when i i I can't implement things as quickly as I would like, but it, it is definitely one of my life missions is to mm. try and um, enable people from whatever their background, whatever their circumstances, to achieve what they can achieve. Yeah, no, and, and I've seen you doing that in whether it's fundraising or recognising Gay Pride Week or whatever it might be. You, you are, you do live what you talk about, and 
And I think you must be an inspiration to your children that they see that they're not being judged, that they're being accepted for who they are. Um, it's a, it's a lovely, a lovely approach. Okay. Um, let's imagine you going back in a time machine to Craig Hatch, age 16, go back and meet yourself with all the experience of, of business and life that has been thrown at you and that you've absorbed. What, what bit of advice would you say? This matters. And this doesn't, Craig, you know, meeting yourself as you're going through the rest of your life or to people who've got children at this age now, 16 to 18, what really matters and what doesn't matter? Yeah. OK, so um, I, I'll answer the what doesn't matter first. What doesn't matter is what people think of you. You know, yeah. so people outside your area of influence and um, their their views on who you are as a person, because. And then this comes to the bit that I wish I knew more of is that who you are as a person is the important thing. So that is the single most important thing in life. Just be yourself constantly. Try and educate yourself. Listen to others. Um, develop yourself. But always be true to who you actually are. And I've got better at that as I've got older in accepting that um, that's all I am is, is the person that I am. And and people will see value in that and certainly in business in life I've managed to um I think portray that you know that I have um something that is of value to people that's enabled me to be successful in business whilst being my true self and that probably wasn't the person I was when I was 18. Yeah and it's such good advice I mean thinking back to my own self at that stage um the first thing uh, it doesn't matter what people think of you and, and even today, you and I, we've had conversations on this, occasionally get caught up in what somebody else thinks of us and we feel quite hurt or upset or, you know, why don't they think I'm so fantastic? And or, I found, you know, the more I try and tell people how great I am, the less they think I am. And the more it has to be somebody else saying something about you, unprompted, unpaid, that they just they just say something nice about you to somebody else. I think that's important. But uh, and the second one, being ourselves. And I think the education's aspect is very interesting. That you know, all leaders are readers, and you know you, you're constantly, even though you're so busy listening to audio books or trying to read something, to continually grow. That the journey never stops. Marcus Aurelius, the emperor, in the last couple of years of his life, even though he's emperor, he was still going to Stoic lessons to learn more, uh, even even at the last years, uh, the last months of his life. Um, that's great, Craig. Next one is uh, if one thing you could change in your life if you could live it again. And, and maybe is there a crucible moment in your life that has shaped the leader you are today? So if you went back, what would you what would you do again? Yeah, I have a couple of examples on that, really. I, I think um, in my work life, I, 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 I try not to have regrets. I always try to look forward rather than than backwards um but i had a real fork in the road moment i, I worked in um private uh, commercial industry as i do now so i worked in private practice and i got offered a role i was headhunted for a role uh, sort of intermediate civil service role with our key client with the coal authority it was our key client at the time i was relatively young i was around about 30 at the time and my career would have taken a completely different path had i gone down that route but I, I opted to stay on the commercial side one or two factors influenced that but I opted to stay down the commercial side which I think has what was the right thing but I, I do look back it's the one decision I made you know was that the right thing it would have been very different and probably enjoyable to go down the other path 
So, you know, was, therefore, was it the right decision to, you know, continue down the, the commercial path? And ultimately, I think it's proved to be the right thing, but it's something I've reflected on over the years that I could have gone down a different route. Mm. Um, major life decision I had was, um, I've described a little bit about my family circumstances, when my children were all under five, so I've got four children under five, including some additional um, requirements in, in how we, uh, how much time we needed to spend looking after them, I upped sticks and took the family away from complete support network and moved from Leicestershire to Cumbria. And um, that left myself and Ellis, my wife, uh, on her own, looking after the, the, the complexity of those four young children with with different needs and in hindsight that was just a um a ridiculously um crazy thing to have done we got through it and Cumbria's ended up being a fantastic home for me my wife and my children but at the time that was a decision that had I thought it through a little bit more it might have been something that I would have left until I'd got a little bit more stability in my life yeah it's a very good point I I think the the fact is that we when we're at a key stage in developing and growing our career, uh, we're also having kids and married. And, and I'm seeing this now with my own uh, four children. Um, uh, by the end of this year, all four of them will be married, uh, two grandchildren, age one and two. And, and you're seeing them having to make decisions on careers in the police or in psychology or in um, some of the uh, Cardo group and M&S and and, and some of the, and digital, some of the tech companies. And what do they do? do they, when do they have kids and when do they start? And, 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 and everything's happening at the same time. And, and if you could almost design a life, you wouldn't have it that way, but you have to because of the biological clock and all that kind of stuff. And so you have four kids under the age of five, wow. And then you're trying to grow your career and shape it. And they ask you to move to Cumbria and there's this great job for you. And you go, darn, this is gonna be great. But when you look back and you went, was that really the best thing I could have done? It was very tough at the time, um, which takes us on nicely to the Inspiring Leadership Compass. Um, we're going to go around the, the compass, the eight points uh, with your experience and, and your sort of top tips for people who are listening, uh, particularly around the moral component, which is a very strong one for you, the, the true North Compass. If, if you were to say a tip that you, you found has served you well, around the moral compass what would it be Craig? Uh, I think honesty um, mm. and being my um, uh, true self I, I, I sort of have a little bit of a saying that every day is a new day in, in bringing in new circumstances new things to consider but the consistency that I'm able to provide is because I'm always honest and always looking to do the, the right thing and I think that single value makes you able to make better decisions and action them more quickly because you're doing things. You're not having to overcomplicate it. You're just doing the right thing all the time. And that has been incredibly important to me. Uh, I honestly don't think I've knowingly told a lie for decades because there isn't any um, value in it. And if I ever did that, that would be something that would be really slipping in terms of my moral values. Yeah, no, I, I think and, and people I've known who've gone through different circumstances or they've been caught in you know, marital problems or affairs or whatever it might be. And then they sort themselves out and they get back on the straight and narrow again. They look back at that time and they just really regret it. 
but but to be woken up at sort of two in the morning and being asked a question and you don't have to make it up you just tell the honest truth that's where I find it it's just makes life so much easier but people think they have to add lots of complexity and stories upon stories uh in ways that people you know and I think of Boris as a classic you know when his lips are moving he's lying um you know it's just but why can't they just tell the truth but people want they mistake charisma for inspiring leadership someone who's wild and fun and flamboyant and hair all the place but that's not inspiring leadership that's not high integrity as you're talking about okay i, I love that great uh, purpose and meaning pq is the next one round you know you're calling your vocation uh, i'm already picking up that you know your family and looking after ellis and fraser and the other children the other three that's calling it itself if you did nothing else but you are also the president of TetraTech UK. So, so what gives your life meaning and purpose? In, in the so we discussed the, the family perspective, and I think um, you know things that are important to me. I, I I bring into my work. I bring into to what I do outside work. So you know, I mentioned that I'm a carer, twenty four seven outside my um, involvement with TetraTech. I also chair the uh, National Sick Children's Charity, Well Child, and that is something that, as somebody that's been through the experience that I've got, I, you know, I, I've worked with Well Child for around about 10 years as a parent advisory group, as a parent ambassador, as a trustee and now chair, which supports families like ours. So it's giving back on the experiences that I've had uh, in my in my working life. And, and that's um, incredibly valuable to me. Uh, it's challenging to fit that in, but, you know, it is something that I do. Um, I've mentioned sustainability as being a key driver. That's for the future of, um, you know, my, my children, my grandchildren's future, my, my nieces, my nephews. Um, we, we need to do something about um, uh, the, the um, global warming. It needs to be something that we do. So, again, that's something I feel passionate about. And I chair the Clean Energy Panel and the Cumbria LEP and, and get involved in how we can develop clean energy, um, not just in Cumbria, but uh, for the benefit of the whole UK. And then in the work environment, it, it is the, the time that I can give back for um, development and mentoring of colleagues at all levels. And, and that's something that I do. I, I probably have seven or eight people, um, six internally, to externally that I mentor or coach uh, to different degrees to um, reflect the things that I've learned. I start all my mentoring sessions by saying, I'm nothing special. I'm an ordinary person, but I've had a lot of experiences. And then when we talk through things that you're doing, things that you have done, I'll be able to just give back to you. These are things that I've done, the experience that I've found, and these are the consequences of it. Yeah. And, and it, it, it... The limiting constraint that we have, the resource we have, is time. Yeah. And one of the things you and I have talked about is um, we have to be careful of not becoming workaholics, that we throw ourselves in so much that we, we, we're overgiving, and then who's looking after us? Which comes on to nicely into the third component, health question, of what makes high-performing leaders. And... Um, you've been doing things like uh, marathons and stuff like that. You also are very conscious, particularly with the mental health challenges for your children, of looking after your own brain health. So what would be your top tip on physical health and on brain health that, that's helped you that you'd advise others to perhaps adapt, adopt? 
Yeah, I, I think it's pr probably linking those two things together, Jonathan. I, th I think um, sport has always been very important for me. Um, it's always been part of what I've done. I didn't realise um, some of the drivers for doing that until I stopped. And then, you know, and that became not just unhealthy physically, more unhealthy physically, but more unhealthy mentally. And, and it wasn't until I started to run, I took up running about 20 years ago, um, that I realised the benefits to both of those areas that it brought me. Um, you know, I, I don't think I would be able to reason in the way that I do unless I ran. It, you know, it is something that really helps um, my mental health. It helps me set me up for the day. I'm an early riser, and so I take my kit out with me wherever I go. I stay in hotels all around the UK and around the world. You can run anywhere, so with a very small amount. So... I run as much as I can. Uh, I, I like to do it early morning before um, complex meetings, before got challenges during the day. It just sets me up in the right way. So I love to do that anywhere I go, but especially in the Cumbrian Hills near where I live. Yeah, no, uh, I, I do admire you for that. And uh, you did the London Marathon recently, didn't you? Was that right? I did. So in the 20 years that I've run, I've run at least one half marathon, a formal half marathon every year. And um, I've run six Great North runs. I've run three London marathons now. Last year, I did it. I did them both for the first time, um, which may be my last one. Um, but uh, I've said that before, so we'll, we'll wait and see. Oh, well, well done. I really, uh, really admire that. And, and particularly as a fellow uh, marathon and triathlete, um, it, it, I think it just gives that extra challenge. Uh, often you just do it against yourself. You don't have to do it against anybody else. Um, I, I've been doing triathlons for the last five or six years and it's just against myself just seeing how it, how, it, how it goes um on next to emotional and social intelligence uh you talked about jc townend who had good eq you didn't specifically say that but i know having met jc i found her uh, as you described her and i'm looking forward to having her on the on the uh inspiring leadership podcast because I, I did find her a very inspiring leader uh, when I, in my days when Penna were being acquired by Lee Hecht Harrison. Um, and, and I think EQ is a skill that's hard to learn, and particularly for, for people who are neurodiverse and have some other challenges reading it. And I'm neurodiverse, but mine is more the dyslexia and this calculia of, of being, having problems with that. But it is a skill you can teach people. It's like a language. Uh, and what's your tip about you know developing good eq uh, the the main um tip i would give is, is to um grow your listening skills so you know and you mentioned jc jc was a great listener and therefore she was able to influence things because she took on board what was being said from a wide variety of people uh, and and different viewpoints and then sort of taking decisions in the right way so I would like listening to be a strength of mine. It is something that I've worked on over the years. I, I don't think as youngsters, it's something that we're, we're naturally good at. So it is something that I've really focused on in recent years. I, I don't hide my vulnerability. Um, so, you know, so I, I do show my vulnerability and therefore part of my personality generally um, enables me to get rapport with people. And, and, and a big aspect of that is listening. And uh, I mentioned my coaching and mentoring it definitely helps with that. Um, and last year, for I, I um, as part of our mentoring scheme, I, I started with a reverse mentor. So somebody more junior than me in the business. 
um, who was able to give make help me to reflect and uh, be very much in touch with different ways of thinking. And that will only work if you're able to listen and um, lose your ego for a few minutes and just take on board what uh, other people might be thinking. That's so true. I'm uh, listening to an audio book about adult relationships and um our ego is the thing that gets us in the way the fact that we have to be right or we don't admit when we're wrong or whatever it might be and so it's it's a key skill as you say of eq L lovely examples there thank you moving on to the next one cq cultural intelligence um collaborative cognitive and and cultural intelligence um but a big part of this is diversity equality and inclusion so so what tip would you give to people to be more diverse in the way they engage people into an organization, more inclusive in the way that you, you do that and, and to have greater equality? What would what would you say? I think it's by um, being open and constantly inquisitive. Um, so learning um, from other other people that might be different to yourself and then consciously inquiring, finding out more. So not just listening, but digging a little bit deeper. How is the experience for you? How can we influence that better? Um, discuss how my own life is very different from other people's. Um, but on the face of it, nobody would know that. I'm a, I'm a straight white bloke um, whose name is easy to pronounce. Other people have different challenges um, to that. And I mentioned, therefore, how important equity and equal opportunities is for me. Um, and so, therefore, understanding the challenges of um, people, that everybody comes from different backgrounds, have different ways of looking at things, and just engaging with that in as open way as you can. And then when you're a leader, trying to facilitate those people to develop and progress through the business so that you get real diversity of thought, which makes, makes the business better, um, rather than... Um, some of the organisations that I've worked with, not my current organisation, where there is definitely that everybody's thinking the same thing, your decisions are very stifled, you don't progress in the way that you can do, and you don't become somewhere that inspires great people to come and work for you. Mm. No, I think yeah. it, you are someone I think other leaders should have a chat to about not only your own experience in life, um, but also... Uh, the fact that how, as a straight white male, you're encouraging diversity, equality, and inclusion. And at the same time, I don't think we should apologise for being who we are, how we're born and the choices we make. There's an, there's an element of we, we thrashing ourselves with a birch and a sort of chain over our back. I'm sorry for being straight white male. It shouldn't be, but, but you must be inclusive and respecting others and their differences and not making them wrong. They're just different. And that's that's their experience and, and to understand that. And particularly this, this matrix of different um, different leanings people have and inclinations, whatever it is, to understand people better. Um, and, and I thank my daughter as well, particularly for that, and my wife, who are very good at, at keeping me that open mind. Um, yeah, my, I would just add there, Jonathan, my, my wife and my daughter are very helpful in, in, in that aspect in in sort of making me realize that, that the privilege that i've that i've had you know because mm -hmm. we do tend to look but i mentioned sort of the working class white male so all of those things that that i've got and my daughter particularly spent some time with me educating me and how i use that for for, for good if you like 
um, and and that was really helpful to me. So I, I find my daughter quite inspirational in yeah. the fact that it's so natural for her to be that leader in a diversity space. She's yeah. just generally really strong in that area. No, it's, it's great. It's really great, and, and I learn a lot from all three of my daughters, and and also from my son, who's in the police and dealing with difficult situations and with with people's perception to the police which is often they're getting quite a whipping and quite a beating up because of one or two individuals who who poison the the fruit basket with their bad behavior and their toxic treatment but doesn't mean they're all like that uh, and i think it's very easy for people to broad brush everybody's you you must be like this and that's not what diversity equality inclusion is about um the next topic is resilience uh, and and I, I think of the people I know, I think you're one of the most resilient. Um, apart from I was reading uh, over the, uh, the trip I had in, in Mauritius. And I, I, I don't mean that to rub your nose in it because you haven't had a holiday since 95. And I had a lovely couple of weeks with my wife in Mauritius. But I was reading uh, a book which was so incongruous with the setting I was in, which was Sir Ranulph Fiennes and his polar exploration, his climbing of the north face of the Eiger and living on a tiny ledge and you go and, and frostbite and he, he saws his own fingers off and things like this. You go, oh my goodness, you know, what people go through for resilience. But you are in your own day-to-day -day life and in the work you do very resilient. Uh, what's a, a top tip uh, for picking it, yourself up in times of adversity and setbacks and daily challenges the daily grind you know every day is a new day what, what's your say yeah I, I, I'm described as being resilient because people look at my life and sort of the way the way things are and and I'm a generally optimistic upbeat person so you know I don't bring the challenges that I have into my um, working environment it's very rare that I let uh, my family circumstances impact my working environment and I think the, the way I do that is that I work quite hard to compartmentalize what I do. So, you know, so I do um, try and remove that so that I, I prioritize um, the right things to do in, in each um, particular aspect of my life. Um, and I say, as soon as I finish work, flip into the, the caring mode and then I'll start worrying about those things. Um, so I, I, that's the biggest thing um, that I think influences me. And the other thing I would say is keeping my mental health right. So if I'm going to be um, uh, upbeat, if I'm going to be optimistic about things, I've got to look after myself. So that means physically, mentally, eating the right things, exercising and not getting too stressed about things is really important to be able to do that. Right. Well, uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and the next one is brand, the um, brand reputation, image and impact. What people say about you, Craig, when you're not in the room. What have you learned from 360s and, and feedback from other people uh, on yourself? Um, so some interesting things. So some interesting things on that. I, I'm very conscious my brand is just me. And, and mentioned my authenticity um, and that when I mentor people, I, I say that I'm nothing special. I honestly believe that, you know, so I, I am um, reflective of the fact that I'm just an ordinary person who's come through different experiences and I'm one person within the, um, uh, the organisation. Just my role uh, is the role that I'm doing. Um, so I, I do get feedback on resilience. I get feedback on uh, my vulnerability. Uh, I get feedback on authenticity as, as being strengths of, of what I am. 
but there, there are some other things in there that you don't see because you know what i anticipate is that um you, know, so you mentioned boris johnson when he opens his mouth he's lying i expect because I, I don't lie i expect people to believe me straight away when i say you know this this is what we're doing this is what is happening and sometimes i can miss the important aspect that people need a little bit of convincing for that they don't accept it on face value and therefore on 360 feedback um i, I a couple of times i have found that i actually uh, think more of myself than some of my colleagues do in certain areas so that's something that i have to reflect on and i'm consciously working on at the moment no it's great and and even discussing it through with you 360 is such an important thing for us all uh and you know to to get feedback on what you do well and areas you can improve on if we're not open to learning it's almost a bit like a shark it's got to keep its fins moving if it stops there uh, then it it will die it's got to it's got to keep it and i think we as leaders um have a small death if we don't learn and are open to improving ourselves because i've arrived here look at me you know i don't need to learn anymore i'm not interested in what other people think that's a big problem. I, I know we shouldn't worry so much what others think, but at the same time, you should be aware of the impact you have and people's perceptions of you. And is that really what's good for your organization? Not only for you, but for the good of the organization. Um, legacy, the final of the eight components before we go into teams and books and your top tip. Um, what would you like your legacy uh, to be, both in your work and in your family life? Yeah, so I'll take work first and, and work. Um, what I'm looking to do in, in the business at the minute is to um, make us as successful um, and resilient as, as we can be. So my legacy would be I believe in a business that is already successful, but is primed for further success, that is resilient. I've succession planned myself with a strong brand and um we continue to lead with science to solve clients' complex problems. That's what we're about as a business with great people. So, yeah, we, we are just a service business. So great people, technically uh, brilliant people that we're continuing to support in the right way to deliver the, the solutions to clients. So that's the, the business. That's what I'd like us to be. The commercial success, um, you know, we've played on some of the, the other things that I do, but I am very much driven to be commercially successful. And that is something that I would want to leave the business in a really strong place so that it will just continue progressing forward. So mm. that's work. Personal life, I would, I, I just want my um, wife and children to be happy. Um, mm. So to have um, left them as much as possible um, to enable them to be happy in the, in the future of their life. So not successful, just things that are doing that make them sort of be their real self and be as happy as they can be. Uh, Ellis, my wife, is um, sort of the mirror of my life. We've been together for 35, 36 years, been married for nearly 33 years. We've been through everything together. So I want Ellis to look back, not at the struggles that we've been through together, but at the positive things, the happy things that we've done together that have made you know this short life that we're in um, as um, engaging and as rewarding as we possibly could have made it. Mm. Yeah, and you've described to me a number of times how if you're looking for inspiring leaders, Ellis is an inspiring leader. And what makes her such an inspiring leader you see her day to day she's there coping with fraser who could die at any stage you you, you live day to day not sure whether he's going to be alive tomorrow and and 
people listening to this, they few, I hope, have to go through that. Um, and I know, you know, a year ago when, uh, two years ago now, when Graham was attacked and stabbed in a vicious attack, which the court case is coming up shortly. And David then died within 10 weeks of diagnosis with cancer. Suddenly, we didn't see that coming. How shocking that was. But you're in a different situation. And she's some special lady living with that every day that you might wake up and find that one of your four has died. I, I can't imagine what that's like. What makes Ellis the amazing woman she is and the inspiration she is to you and to the children? Yeah, there are a few aspects to that. Uh, I think she is, um, first of all, she's incredibly um, caring individual. You know, so her true vocation was a nurse. She, she was a, a staff nurse. That's what she trained to do. And she was absolutely brilliant at it with a career ahead of her um, before Fraser came along. And then sort of you know, a few years after Fraser was born, we made the decision that we couldn't both go to work. We couldn't both. So we made the decision that my career would be priority and that she would um, look after Fraser. Um, a really difficult decision to make because we were both probably at similar stages of our career at the time. She has amazing um, resilience in that she's able to continually prioritise the right thing, which is Fraser. Fraser takes priority, closely followed by her other children, I would say, closely followed by me. Then Ellis might think about herself. So that um, her unselfish attitude to what she's doing and actually the, the, the physical aspect of sort of being able to get up at five o'clock in the morning every day, work through to 11 o'clock at night when it starts and then have broken sleep during the night constantly for 25 years, just can't be described. You know, you, you, there is no way of um, informing people who haven't lived that life what it is like. And uh, one of the things I've done with Wellchild and we've done at Wellchild is we set up a parent support group. So we've got a network of about 3000 families now. And they use the term muggle. So, you know, from the Harry Potter stories. So people that if you don't, if you're not living it, you just don't know what that experience is like. And Ellis has lived that life for 25 years and is just an amazing support, not only to Fraser, but still manages to provide that support to my children, to me, to a mum and dad when a mum and dad were alive before they um, sadly died a few years ago. She was able to do all those things because of a naturally um, caring attitude that she has. Wow. I mean, it's always, thank goodness, she was trained as a staff nurse with that whole ethos of uh, sustaining people through illness um, and, and coping when you're thrown with difficult situations that she, she almost like switches into staff nurse mode, I imagine, to manage them. But the... The, the sleep deprivation of like six hours a night of broken sleep. Um, I know when we've uh, obviously going up with four children, but um, two are stepchildren, but um, with grandchildren staying with us as they're living with us for a few months while they're trying to move home. Um, that's quite broken sleep. And we sort of ended up with a little person age one in bed with us because they, they've woken up and the parents and, shattered you know our son working in the police with his shifts and then he's away perhaps for some period of time so his wife Kirsty is, is managing on her own and she's often exhausted because either one or other of the children 
are up. But to have this going on for 25 years, and it will continue for however long Fraser is blessed to live with. So I just I just don't think I could quite understand how challenging that is. And I just want to, I don't know, for what it's worth on this Inspiring Leadership podcast, just acknowledge you and her, but, but the way there are other people out there giving their lives to keep others alive uh, and make their lives better. But at the end of the day, who's looking after Ellis? And I, I, I would hope that, that your charity and others can find some time when you might get a bit of respite care so that she could at least sleep, uh, even if she doesn't want to go on a holiday. I just say so that the, there's that. Is, is that ever possible that you get a bit of respite help? It, it used to be. Um, it, it isn't possible at the moment. We, we can't get enough um, uh, personal assistance for Fraser, for Ellis to get the respite that she needs. So we try and manage that between us. You know, we, we can't at the moment see a night away without Fraser. And, and there's a really big family event that's coming up later this year. Ellis's niece, my niece, Gemma, is getting married in Australia, but it's Ellis's sister's daughter. And Ellis isn't going to be able to travel out there because of the practicalities of going out there and other people caring for Fraser while she's away, but just the fact that she couldn't leave him for that period of time in case something happened because of the investment that has gone in um, to looking after him. So they're the things that um, are most challenging, I think. Um, the day-to-day, -day, the respite, we try and support each other through that, but not being able to get any sustained break missing family events. Ellis and Fraser weren't able to come to the funeral of my mother. Recently, my mum died in January and we couldn't practically get them down um, to the funeral in, in Leicestershire. And they're not things you would normally have in a family environment. So they're additional challenges um, to the day-to-day -day that we have to manage. Yeah, I'm really sorry about the death of your mother back in uh, last, the end of last year. That that was a tough time. And, and I think people... People who have to go through that incredible amount of resilience day after day, month after month, year after year for 25 years, very special people. And, uh, and I think it's given you a special kind of leadership skill by living with someone who has that attitude and you have to help out with the caring as soon as you're back. It makes you take nothing for granted. That's what I've experienced with you and that openness to not judge anybody because you don't know their story. And I think this is the big message for me, time and again, wherever I'm in the world, meeting different people or, or day to day on this course, never judge someone until you know their story, until you know what they're living with. And we make all these sweeping assumptions. Let, let me tell you this, let me tell you that. Well, do you actually know I know a lot about that or I've actually got more experience of that than you have, but you haven't asked me because you make all these assumptions um so that leads me on to in a slightly different way in, in your work to executive teams you you've worked with a lot of executive teams over the years you've led them you've built them you've got your own leadership team for tetra tech uk uh as you grow and develop and morph and evolve with you know your constant growth in your organization um exciting times for you uh you had a recent event with 150 of your leaders and you had your european boss came over for that when you're trying to turn a, a slightly toxic team or there's a toxic individual in a team, but the team isn't kind of performing, 
what's been your experience and what have you seen work and what have you seen not work in 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 creating a high performing team from something that's quite toxic yeah i, I think a, a key aspect for me I and mean, it's something you, you need um your leaders to be people that are on the bus going in the same direction and, and um you, you need everybody um supporting you to do that so you need to surround yourself with great people diverse strengths that complement who you are um but are also pulling in the same direction as you and and so you know that toxicity that you mentioned that's their people that that aren't pulling in the same direction um don't be fearful of employing talent that might challenge you um that might you might feel that's stronger than you in certain areas because you need that you need that challenge you need to encourage debate and then uh joint ownership of the actions and dealing with toxicity i think i would just say deal with that um directly quickly um don't be scared to make the right decisions um there might be people that you like but they're not going to be part of the future of the business so do it with as little fuss and as much humanity as you can but mm. deal with it very quickly yeah great advice great advice um thank you for that craig uh penultimate question is books uh that you've been reading recently that you'd recommend to others uh what, what are the books and and why have you found them useful and would recommend them to others yeah okay i i, I like to continuously develop so this this answer might vary from week to week of the, which of the leadership books that i like two recent examples that um i i read are Matthew Syed's uh, Black Box Thinking. Um, so looking at learning from, I call it learning from experience. I think he referred to it as learning from failure is very important and, and getting the details right. That constant strive for doing the right things the right way 100 times a day is really important. Um, and then the current book I'm reading is um, Essentialism by Greg McEwen. And uh, that's quite relevant to me. Uh, in that I have a lot of things to prioritise, but trying to really narrow it down to what are the important things that are going to make a difference. I only have limited time. What are the things that are going to really make an impact to me on that day and to the business on the longer term? Yeah, no, re really good. Thank you for that. So, uh, Craig, now would you uh, finally introduce yourself as you did at the beginning um, and give us your two-minute top leadership tip that, for other people? Yeah, uh, I'm Craig Hatch. I'm president of Tetratech in the UK. Uh, Tetratech are uh, a global management and technical uh, consultancy with 27,000 great people uh, around the planet, leading with science to solve clients' complex problems. Within UK and Europe, we have 5,000 of those prof professionals uh, providing a wide range of services to um, clients in our geography. The top tips i would say the first one is don't cheat um be always be honest always lead with integrity at all times um that is fundamental to my beliefs but it also uh, i think inspires others to follow you be a good listener uh, take on wide views uh before making decisions don't avoid the difficult things uh always deal with them head on and quickly and then one i try and instill in all my leadership team is lead with example all day, every day. Yeah, fantastic. Well, look, I've seen you apply those tips and thank you, Craig, for being on the Inspire Leadership podcast. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I just want to acknowledge uh, the great work you're doing in Tetra Tech 
but also uh, the couple that you are, yourself and Ellis, looking after Fraser and your other children. So thank you for being on the show. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Jonathan. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.